Today is a different type of appearance of Christ. Today, we are going to see Jesus in a ram. Now, I'm not going to say that Jesus is in the ram. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the ram represents who Jesus is going to be. We can call that prophecy. We can call it foreshadowing. Call it really whatever you want. But it's a different type of appearance today. Uh, and before I confuse anybody anymore, I've already confused myself in the first 30 seconds. Uh, let, let's just get straight to the scripture. We're going to be in Genesis 22. Genesis 22. Uh, we like you to participate here at City Life. So if you're brand new, uh, this is more of a cooking class than it is a, I don't know, lecture. Okay? So cooking class, get your hands dirty, get your Bible out, you flip through it, you say some things, I tell you to tell your neighbor some things, I tell you to repeat something back, because this is more of a cooking class than it is a boring lecture where we all fall asleep. Uh, we're excited to talk about Jesus, we're excited to talk about the Bible, and so it's more of a cooking class. So if you can turn there with me, that's good. Turn there with me. Genesis 22. Uh, while you're turning there, I want to build something today. Here's what I want to build. God is the great foreshadower. God is the great foreshadower, okay? And in his foreshadowing is basically deep elements of his love that maybe you didn't see before, okay? So, so some of us are still wondering, we're still answering the, answering the question, does God love me? Does God care about me? How much does he love me? And we're slow and we're stubborn. Uh, I'm slow, I'm stubborn, and I'm forgetful. And so not only does God need to point to his love and say, this is how I love you, but he, he needs to, thousands of years before that, show us how he loves us through pictures, through people, through prophecy. And then while it's happening, he needs to point to it saying, I love you, I love you. And then afterwards, he needs to go, see how much I loved you? And he needs to put it into a book, and he needs to put it into stories, and he needs to use people's lives. He is the great foreshadower because we need it, and foreshadowing is love. Again, we're slow, we're stubborn, we're forgetful. And so he needs to be the great foreshadower, and foreshadowing is love. Uh, my wife and I are very fortunate to, to not fight about the same things that a lot of couples fight about. I'm going to give you a couple things. And, uh, you know, people who, who write down statistics and stuff like that, they say that um, intimacy and money, these are all like the hot, hot beds of fighting for marriage. I think there's three that kind of lie on the fringes. Uh, one, I won't really talk about because it's still a bit fresh. You know, whose house are we going to for Thanksgiving and when should we be there? Some of the husbands, some of the wives are like, nah, it's just too much. It's too soon. Let's just leave that one aside. So I'll leave that one aside. But, but couples do fight about that quite a bit. Couples also fight about where to eat. All right. We've never in nine plus years of marriage, we've never fought about where are we going to eat. But apparently couples fight about this all the time. Right. You pick. No, you pick. And then just turns angry. You pick. It's like, wow, sweetie, I didn't know you had that side to you. I was just, we're just trying to figure out who's going to pick the restaurant. Or you tried the alternating thing, right? Okay, sweetheart, you pick this week and I'll pick next week, right? And so the person picks and you're at a sushi restaurant and the person's not talking. Honey, you're not, you're not saying anything. Not only are you not eating, but you haven't said anything in 20 minutes. Well, I hate sushi. And if you listened to me, you would know that, right? The other one's like, well, I hate pasta. And you took me to an Italian restaurant last week. Meanwhile, there's three other couples there. We all feel awkward. You're fighting over this thing that couples tend to fight about. My wife and I have never fought over, over food for some reason. I don't know what it is. She's really easy. I'm more easy than you think I would be. Um, I have a palate that is both sophisticated and diverse. Humble brag. Um, just, it's just a good palate. And so we just, we've just never fought about this thing. Uh, we, we've also never fought about, what we have, but it, it's very minimal comparatively, I think, getting out of the house on time, okay? 
Uh, getting out of the house on time is, is really hard for couples. I guarantee that there were maybe four arguments on the way here alone. This one is a bit fresh, right? And you pull up to the church and the person's like, where should we park? And the other person's like, well, you need to park closest to the church because you need Jesus. And they just fought the whole way. They just rode in silence. You know, there's just fighting over how to get to church how to get places on time. And, and we don't really fight about that. One is because Anne takes about 10 minutes to get ready. She looks that beautiful in about 10 minutes because she is a seasoned veteran mother who has held children while they threw up and yelled at her and put on makeup at the same time. She's done all of it. She takes about 10 minutes. She has very low expectations of how much time she'll get while getting ready. And most of my outfits can consist of jeans and a hoodie or a t-shirt. And so I don't take that long either. And we just don't really fight about this thing. And another reason is because of this thing called foreshadowing. We give each other these warnings and these pictures of what's to come. Usually at the beginning of the week, we sit down and we go, what is going to happen on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Where do the kids need to be? What practices do they need to go to? What parties do we need to be at? What are we going to have to wear? And I'm not always great at this, but when I'm good at this, it's really love. It's deep love, right? Because I'm communicating, this is what needs to happen. This is when we need to be there. This is what we need to wear. This is what the outfit should look like. And this is usually what I need to wear. This is how this needs to go. And we talk about this because foreshadowing is love. Communication is love. Warning is love. Not just showing up and going, babe, we need to be there in like 10 minutes. That's not, that's not love. Right? Foreshadowing is love. And what I'm going to talk about this morning is that God is the great foreshadower and it is deep love. It's deep love. It's, it's love in a way that we didn't know it was going to happen. And, and really, he's giving us snapshots. He's in the habit of giving us snapshots and pictures of that love thousands of years before it even happens. Not only is he going to give us over 250 prophecies in the Old Testament leading to his love, all about Jesus' birth and where he's going to be born and why he's going to be born, his, his death and how he's going to die and, and who's going to be involved, even the birthplace of, of Jesus, like 250 plus uh, prophecies leading us to Jesus, a snapshot of foreshadowing of what is to come and how he's going to love us. Not only is all of that going to happen, but he's also going to use people. He's going to use people and their stories to say, this is how I'm going to love you. Thousands of years later, he's going to actually ask people to go through something so they can show us, so he can write it down through his spirit into the scriptures, so he can show us, this is how much I love you. I've been communicating it for thousands of years because, again, we're slow and we're stubborn and we're forgetful. He does something for us on Tuesday. By Friday, we're already like, how come you haven't done anything for me? We're slow and stubborn and forgetful. And so he's been proving how much he loves us for thousands of years through this thing we call prophecy, or another word for it is foreshadowing, a warning of what is to come. Let me give you some snapshots, uh, examples in the Old Testament. Let's talk about Egypt and slavery uh, in Exodus. We are in slavery in Exodus. God's people are, are in slavery. He tells them, I want you to put lamb's blood over the doorway. He's going to bring this final plague upon Egypt, and he's going to release his people from slavery. And the angel of death is going to pass by their doorway because they have lamb's blood representing salvation on the doorway. How many of you know that thousands of years later, Jesus would be called the Lamb of God? Thousands of Passovers later, Jesus would be called the Passover Lamb because the spirit of death passed over even in Revelation, Jesus is called 
the Lamb of God, right? And Revelation, by the way, is a foreshadowing book, an entire book foreshadowing Jesus' second coming. Foreshadowing his love. And Jesus has been showing us his love for thousands of years. How about another one? Let's pick Solomon. This one's really interesting. Solomon is told to build a temple. His, his father, David, wants to build a temple, but God's like, no, I want Solomon to build the temple. And then God comes in and, and talks about every inch. He's like, I want you to take care of every inch. And he, he tells him what pill, this pillar should be made of and what stone this, this flooring should be made of and what, what this gold should be in. He talks about every inch of this temple, really showing Solomon that that which houses the presence of God is important, it's amazing, it's filled, and God loves to be there. Right? Every inch is taken care of. Fast forward thousands of years, 1 Corinthians, our first, our first scripture, I'll bounce around for you, say in Genesis 22, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. Thousands of years later, he said, the whole time, you are, you're not a temple. You're not a temple. I was proving to you years ago when I had you take care of every inch how important that which houses the presence of God is. Now you are the presence of God house. Now you are the temple. Now you are the one that lives in that thing which I so intricately built and loved and loved to be in. Foreshadowing is love and God is a great foreshadower. One more. This one's a little bit more dark. Okay. Hosea, thousands of years before it actually happens, before Jesus goes and purchases us, uh, Hosea, um, you, can, you can go back one tone. Uh, Hosea is told to walk into a relationship with a prostitute. Um, and if that's me, I'm like, mm, no. Okay? Hosea's a good dude. He's a good dude. But he, he wants to have Hosea give us a picture. So Hosea walks into this relationship and marries a prostitute, uh, and, and she does what a prostitute does. She goes back into town, into the wrong place, and she gives herself away. Now you have to understand what's happening here, because she was given life. She was given a good man. And if, if you've been a single woman for a long time, you're like, we're just looking for a good man. She was finally given a good man who's going to take care of her. He's a man of God. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna be a good dude. We all just want a relationship with a good woman or a good man. She found it. And she decides to go back into a life of prostitution. I'm paraphrasing. He says, I want you to walk back into that prostitution parlor, take some money, and buy her back. How embarrassing. How embarrassing. And so he does that. All because of thousands of years later, we would be that people. That even though he purchased us, we would walk away and walk away and walk away. Uh, now we can throw that scripture up there. We, we are these people that the Proverbs represents. Like a dog returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. We are those people who just constantly commit adultery on God. We worship other things and other gods. We spiritually give ourselves away. And God wanted us to know this is how it feels, but I'm going to walk back in and buy you anyway through the blood of my son Jesus. Man, foreshadowing is love. Thousands of years that way, thousands of years this way. Not only am I going to prove to you my love, but I'm going to do it over and over again. I'm going to point to it, and I'm going to document it. Foreshadowing is love, and God is the great foreshadower. Today's picture, today's foreshadowing, might be the most emotional. Hopefully you're in Genesis 22 by now. It might be the most emotional for God. It was the most emotional for me. I read through this scripture numerous times 
uh, and I'm, I'm crying, I'm writing the sermon, and I'm crying by myself, sometimes in Dunkin' Donuts, and it's awkward for everybody, but I'm just reading this foreshadowing, and this foreshadowing is so, so deeply connected to the Father's heart. I think that this scripture, this foreshadowing, this prophecy, this moment, is the most emotional for God. And I want to challenge you this morning to feel the emotion of God, to be okay with that. We do so many things to numb our emotions today, don't we? We'll do anything. We're watching a movie. The movie is emotional. We don't want to be emotional. We pick up our phone and go on Facebook. We do anything to numb the emotion. But God wants us to know how he feels and he doesn't want us to put up these pride barriers and these emotional barriers to stop us from feeling what he feels about us. Some of you are still trying to answer the question, how much does God love me? But your emotions are always stumped. Maybe you're a man cut from the old school cloth and you're like, I don't do emotions, sir, right? It's not okay. I'm not a crier like you, Justin. Maybe that's you. I encourage you, let, let, let those walls come down today. The Father is emotional over you. He loves you so deeply that thousands of years earlier, he's going to give you a picture of one of his most significant acts. Let me pray for us as we try to let our barriers down this morning and feel the emotions of God uh, as he loves us through this story. God, we just, we just pray for your, for your walls to come down, for these walls to come down that are in the, the hearts of our people, the hearts of my heart. I mean, I got walls too. I got walls I put up against you all the time. I don't want to be too vulnerable. I don't want to let myself go. I need to put up an image. I need to put up a picture of myself. I need to be some sort of, <laughs> some sort of beast that does, not, that does not have emotion, that does not cry, that does not love. For some reason, I, I put this on. I pray that you would strip me of that this morning. I pray that we would feel all of the Father's heart this morning. All of the pain that you went through to love us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We ready? Remember, cooking class, are we ready? Yes, we're ready. Okay, woo! It's your second one today, I like it. You're in, you're in, all right. I'm gonna have you read the parts that are read with me, okay? After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son. All right, okay, it's, it's a cooking class. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, uh, not Mariah Carey, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, uh, you heard that correctly. God is saying, I want you to take your son, language is important, uh, language dictates culture, take your son, your only son, and I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to bring a knife to him. You heard that correctly. Now, God is going to use language and people, again, thousands of years earlier, and then he's going to bring it back up later. This is the most famous verse of all time. Again, I want you to read in red. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Sound familiar? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Pay attention, church. God has been loving you for centuries. He picks a gentleman named Abraham and he's going to use Abraham's life and Abraham's act to show you the pain of the father as the father sacrifices the son. Pay attention. People's opinions rob us of this. Your limited view robs you of knowing the father's heart. But the father wants to communicate all of his heart this morning. 
Uh, let's, put, let's put Genesis back up. But by the way, j- just notice this. God has kept thousands of years of, of, of record of his love and stories. But he does not keep record of your sin. You ever think about that? So God keeps thousands of years of record of his love, but it, after you ask for forgiveness, he keeps no record of your sin. Just know how much God loves you. Now, we're bringing back up the scripture because I, I want you to feel in, in, in one verse the pain that Abraham feels. Now, now Abraham has been waiting for a child, a, a male child, for 90 plus years. He has one with his servant, but it's not the same thing. He wants to produce a pure child, a male, with his wife. And, and, and now he's finally going to get that child. And, and for all of us, waiting 90 years should really trigger something inside of us. Because I know if, if Amazon doesn't come in two days, it comes on the third day, you're making phone calls. I know it. I am. It's been three days. My paper towels aren't here. Like, we, we, get, we get into it. Three days, Amazon, sir. You know, we're, we're yelling at people. 90 years. This man's waiting for a son. And God finally says, I'm going to give him to you. And then when he has him, God says, I want you to take him to this place and I want you to kill him. Are you feeling that? Because I, I don't know how I'd feel if I'm Abraham in this moment. I don't know if I would move my feet in faithfulness. Some of you need to understand the, the historical context. If you could not have a male, you were not a man. That's it. Kings would sleep with multiple women, this is going to get graphic, with multiple women just to have a son. Because your family legacy, your name, your son was everything. You were not a woman if you could not produce a son. If you were a barren woman, you were cast off to the edge of society. It caused these people much grief, much pain. This man is finally going to have a son. He has a son. Isaac is somebody who he can live with and he can die happy now. And then God says, I want you to take him up to this place that I tell you to and I want you to sacrifice him there. Feel that. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Would you be faithful here? Abraham's moving his feet. Let's take a pit stop real quick. When you're following Jesus, and I mean you're following Jesus, he's leading your following, sometimes your whole body and soul is going to want to run that way, and God is going to ask you to move your feet this way. And if you haven't experienced that yet, I would say you're not really following Jesus. Because there's going to be times where he's asking you, I want you to go this way, and you're going to want to sprint in the other direction. Just, just look at Jonah. Now, we, we hate on Jonah. Jonah got swallowed by a fish because he went to the wrong place. He got on a boat, started going in the opposite direction. But what God was doing is telling him to go to a murderous city and tell them to repent. And so let's not hate on Jonah because there are times for all of us where God is calling us to go this way, but we want to sprint this way. Our man Abraham gets up early. He doesn't even wake up late. He's not even depressed enough to wake up late. He gets up early and he moves his feet towards faithfulness. This, this old school idea called obedience. This non-sexy idea called faithfulness. He moves his feet. Some of you just need to hear this this morning. Move your feet. You want to quit? You want to stop fluttering? 
Take it from the great theologian Dory. Just keep swimming. Okay, just move your feet. He'll do the rest. He moves his feet, and as he's grabbing the fire and the wood, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said to him, here, my, here I am, my son. Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself uh, for a burnt, uh, God, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went on the two of them together. This is, this is emotional. I mean, this is, imagine looking in your son, son's eyes. Your son says, where, where is it? And you have to say to him, God's going to provide it. I had, um, when my son was four, um, we were getting these, these reports about JD that he wasn't growing correctly. We didn't really know what that meant. But the things that were, they were saying he could have were not good. <laughs> they, you know, shortened life. Um, he wasn't going to be all there. They were just saying things that, like, we need to test to make sure that your son is not going in this direction. Um, and they wanted to take a lot of blood. So, like, one needle's a big deal to a kid. One needle's a big deal to me, I think. <laughs> and, and they wanted, it was like six times in like, in, like, three weeks, they wanted him to come draw blood. And, like, I'm the guy that would just have Anne go in and do that. Very selfish, I know. Let's just be honest. But I did not like the way that my kid looked when he got a shot or she got a shot. And I did not like the way I felt about the doctor who was just doing their job. I wanted to take them outside for just doing their job. And so I did not like that. Um, and, and I figured, I'll just take the other kids and we'll sit in the waiting room. But with JD, I felt God instilling in me, take your son. Sit him on your lap. Look him in the eyes. Tell him you have his back. Right? Because I was being a coward. And so I thought, I'm going to take him. I'm going to take him. I did that thing. Babe, I got this. Right? My microphone's up here. I have my chest. Right? Babe, I got this. Right? So I put him in the car. This is like the third time. Third time I'm taking him to get his his blood drawn. And he says, Dad. And I look in the rearview mirror. He's sitting in the back seat. I, I make eye contact with him. He says, do we have to do this again? I can't describe that feeling when your son has fear or when you're, like, I, I could tell he didn't understand. You know what I'm saying? And it just ripped me, it ripped me apart. I wanted to say, you know, no. We're going to Disney World, son. We're just hopping on the highway right now. I wanted to say, no, I'll, I'll take it for you. I can't describe that moment for you. Matter of fact, there's, there's no crafty sentence I, I could come up with for this moment. Where his son looks at him and says, what, what's happening here, Dad? And he has to look his son in the eyes and say, uh, the Father, God, God is going to provide the burnt offering. Knowing full well that he was going to strap his son to wood and draw a dagger. I think it's okay to put yourself here. Like, you can't. But it's okay to put yourself here. Because he wants you to know how he felt. Like, this... So, okay, so, so this whole thing is, is going to be, spoiler alert, it's going to be about the sacrifice of Jesus. That's, that's the big idea, that he is going to be the ram. He's going to be the sacrifice. But there's, a, there's another foreshadowing here, and it's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is in the Garden, and Jesus knows, he's a, about a day away, he knows that he is going to experience 
the most painful death that really anybody would know. He's going to experience shame. They're going to spit on him. They're going to put a crown of thorns and they're going to crush it into his skull. Uh, they're going to put nails and, and, and into his hands and his feet and his wrists. Uh, they're going to put a robe on him and mock him. Uh, then they're going to hang him up and he's going to die a slow death of asphyxiation. And he first talks to the disciples, if you put that scripture up there, but, but then he talks to the Father. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face. He looks at the Father. He says, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You get this? The Father is saying, this is what I went through. This is what I go through to love you. He's giving us a picture through Abraham thousands of years earlier. I'm sure he wanted to look at Jesus in his life. Like he, read it sometime, he, he takes Elijah and he just whisks him up in a chariot of fire. I mean, that's OG. Not only does he not have to die, but he goes up in a chariot of fire. I mean, that is amazing. He could do that for Jesus here. If it, if it would accomplish the task, I'm sure he looks at Jesus and is like, so I, I want to be able to take this cup from you. Just like I looked at JD, I just want to take this cup from you. It's not the way this is going to happen, though. He's feeling the pain. He wants you to feel the pain. He wants you to know what this foreshadowing is, how deep this love is in this foreshadowing. Back to our text in Genesis, verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Keep that moment. Seeing you have not withheld your son, you say this part, your only son from me. I hope you're with me, church. Here's the big test, Abraham. Do you love me? to the ends of the earth? Do you love all of me? Then don't withhold even your son, your only son. That's the test. Do you see what he's doing? Because that moment where your heart questions, does God really love me? Does God really care for me? Does, does God really have my back? Is God really thinking about me? Is he, am I really a temple of the Holy Spirit? Does, does God really have a plan? Does God really have my, my steps planned out for me? Is, is the righteous one, is, is his steps, her steps planned out for them? Does God really love me? Do you see what he's doing? He's saying, he's saying test me. I passed the test. I have not withheld my son, my only son from you. There is no other love. You name it. You name an act. Take a bullet. It's not the same. There's nothing the same as looking your son, your only son, in his eyes and being willing to take his life, allow his life to be taken. There's nothing like it. And so next time you question, next time you question, does God really love me? We all do that in those dramatic moments, right? Usually moments that we purchased ourselves, Usually dumb things that we've done ourselves. Does God really love me? Does God really care? I have not withheld my son, my only son. Foreshadowing his love. And God is the great foreshadower. Multiple billboards throughout the scriptures. Right? From Genesis to Revelation. Billboard after billboard. You're just going along the highway of life. Billboard after billboard after billboard. I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how much I love you. Don't question. 
It's okay to question, but remember, remind yourself. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind was a, a ram caught in the thicket. There's Jesus, again, not in the ram, but a representation. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. God loves you. It's not a complicated message. God loves you. He's been proving it for centuries. He's been proving it throughout the scriptures. He's been proving it over and over again, thousands of times. My question for you this morning is, do you love him? Do you love him, love him? Not is he an accessory to your Facebook page. Not is he an accessory to the outfit of your life. Not is he something that you participate with one Sunday out of four Sundays in a month and you tell your friends, I'm a Christian. Not, not, I'm asking, he, he loves you. Do you love him? Do you love him, love him? Like scholars call this uh, the first time where there's, there's what's called uh, substitutionary atonement. Tom, would you put that up? Substitutionary atonement. And this is just a big, fancy theological phrase that means someone needed to take our place. So Jesus subs himself in and dies for us, right? This is the first action where he subs himself in. Meaning, you love in how much you give. You love in how much you sacrifice. So again, I'm asking, do you love God? Well, let's play a game. Let's play a game, all right? I'm going to call you. I'm not going to ask you to answer anything, Jonathan. Don't worry, okay? Jonathan is is there, all right? And, and, And Steve is here. And someone comes in, and uh, maybe they're on the street together, and Jonathan takes a bullet for Steve. There's bullets spraying, and Jonathan does this, right, does one of those. I can see Jonathan doing that. Jonathan's a brave young man. That's love, right? I would think so. Now, it's not the greatest example of substitutionary atonement, but but it's an example of substitutionary atonement. I'm going to take your place. Here's what I think the American church is doing. Let's call the American church Steve, okay? Steve is going to walk over after he takes a bullet. Jonathan survives. He's going to give him a $20 gift certificate from Applebee's. There you go. Thank you for doing what you did. That's what I feel like the American church is doing. We have this lukewarm love. Like, you know when you give someone a gift card? You know it's a cop-out. I'm sorry. Like, if you did for Thanksgiving, I'm sorry. If, if that's what you planned for like half, you know, half your family, I know it's, it's a cop-out, right? The level of love depends on the level of gift that you give. The thoughtfulness that you put into it. Now, I love my wife so much, I basically give good gifts to only her, okay? But man, when I give her a gift, it's not going to be a gift card. I've made things. I've crafted things, I've sanded things, I've cut things, I've, I've went to Joanne Fabrics and I've picked out color schemes and I've put it on there for her. One time I made her two signs, one was in her Filipino native tongue and one was in my, my native tongue, which is English, and, and, and I put it on there and man, it, it was our, of our favorite song. I mean, you husband, you ain't got a chance on me, okay, but my love for her is represented in what I give her. It's what I sacrifice for her. That's how I love and I will give anything for my wife, right? That's, that's sacrifice, that's love. And I just, I just don't feel like the church really loves Jesus. I feel like we're not very thoughtful. 
I feel like we're not very sacrificial. And I, I want us to start here by answering the question, do you actually love Jesus? Like I've been proving it the whole morning, he, is, he loves you with, with, with no boundaries. Do you love him back? Take that first step. Answer that question for yourself. Do I really love God? What do I give him? What do I sacrifice for him? I don't mean to just kill the church this morning because the, we're doing our best. All right? And it is the bride of Christ. One last point as the, as the worship team come, comes on up here. I think we've fit Jesus into our American box instead of asking Jesus to radically transform our America. Does that make sense? So we have this American Christianity where we get, where we get the nice lights going, we get the nice TVs going, with the little thing. I don't even know what that's called. It's a good-looking thing, though, right? We go to a place that's comfortable, we worship in a way that's comfortable, and if that comfort doesn't represent really what we want, we don't go to that place to work. <coughs> to worship, excuse me. I think we fit Jesus into America rather than letting America radicalize or letting, letting God radicalize America. What would that look like? It starts with you. What, do, what are you willing to give God? What are you willing to sacrifice for God? Let's pray. I, I know for me, it's, it's like... Um, my pastoring is going to look a certain way. I still want to be able to wear some nice Adidas. I still want to be kind of trendy. I want to preach how much I want to preach. I don't want to really do the other things that I want to do. I don't want to do, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't want to do the dirty stuff. I, I complained pretty much all morning while I'm bringing stuff up the stairs. I'm like, meh, 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 meh. I got to bring stuff up these hot stairs. Uh, you know, for me, I, I, I Americanize and I, and I make comfortable my pastoring, my servanthood. When that's not, that's not what Jesus is asking me to do. Jesus is asking me to give everything back to him because he has loved me in a way that has not even withheld his only son. And so let me pray for myself. As I pray for myself, pray for yourself. God, I pray for myself this morning. Because sometimes I'm willing to sacrifice some things, but other times I'm not willing to sacrifice anything. I'm willing to follow you, but I'm only willing to follow you into certain dangerous boundaries. And the rest of the stuff I just kind of hold on to, I white knuckle. He agrees. I love you, Jesus, in a way that I want to love you. I sacrifice for you in a way that I want to sacrifice for you. And I don't let it go on uh, past the the lines that I, I don't want it to go past. And maybe my friends can sympathize this morning. Maybe we've just Americanized Christianity and we've made it look how we want to look at it. I don't mean to be so philosophical and 30,000 square foot with this whole thing. I, I know that you want, to, you want to make this central to who we are. Would you, just, would you just help us answer the question, do we really love you this morning? And if we really love you, what do you want us to give you? What are we holding back from you? If we're we're really going to love you as City Life Church in Jersey City and it's going to be so radical that everybody's going to take notice around us and they're going to want to be a part of what we're doing, how do we actually love you? Because God, you have proven that you love us. You have not withheld your son, your only son. And so we don't want to withhold anything from you. Show us this morning, Jesus. Show us this morning. name and pray these things. Amen. Hey guys, we're going to worship now. Uh, And as we worship...
we're gonna do something pretty intimate. Uh, we're gonna take communion. So the communion table is right here. It's offered on this red little cart that usually holds book, books for children. So that's what we got. All right, just deal with it. Um, come, come get some communion items, which means the bread, which is the body of Christ, and the drink, which is, uh, represents his blood. Um, you can take communion if you have given your life to Jesus or want to give your life to Jesus. If you have not given your life to Jesus and want to, please tell one of us, and we'll help you give your life to Jesus and surrender your life to Jesus. As we take this communion, I want you to ask God, because you're taking his body and his blood, him withholding nothing from you. I want you to ask God, what am I withholding from you? Ask him. Doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 40 years. You're withholding something. Ask him, what am I withholding from you? And then sit back down. Don't take the communion yet. We'll take it together. Um, But I need at least one person to start the trend of getting this stuff while we sing this first song. So... uh, Take, take the cup and the, and the bread and, and let's reflect together.